1: and welcome back to Meeting of the Minds. Today with Winning Mindset, we have a, an unbelievable guest right here. As two Penn alumni, if there's one name that the University of Penn wrestlers and students know, it's Dave Patrick. Thank you very much for joining us.
2: My pleasure, it's nice to be with you, Gino.
1: Absolutely, and I really appreciate all the help and guidance you've given me and my brother over the years for both building our business and wrestling as well as the the guidance and leadership you've told us about now transitioning to sales and corporate mindset. So we're very appreciative.
2: Good, good.
1: So I'd love for you to talk about your journey, how your sports career took you into success in business, and how a lot of that I remember you telling us was your mindset and how you've made that transition.
2: Well, you know, I had a really interesting experience because uh, I did – I did okay as a Penn wrestler. I also played football, so I was a two-sport athlete at Penn. And I did okay, but not as well as I would have liked to have done. The real breakthrough for me came the following year after I graduated Penn undergraduate. When I went on to Wharton to study for my MBA, I became the assistant wrestling coach at Penn. And I had the chance to see How wrestlers limit their ability based upon their mindset. How their mindset limited their training, their confidence, their technique, their strategy, and their ability to bounce back from disappointments to be successful the next time. And I learned all the kinds of things that you already teach as part of your mindset training. And that really enabled me to pursue my career in a different way. I learned the fact that if you want to have top tier success, you have to put in top tier effort. And 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 that top tier effort is more than you think it is. It's whatever you're doing, and another hundred percent because everyone is competing and everyone is working hard and your traditional definition of hard work is really not hard enough that's number one and number two there's going to be setbacks there's going to be disappointments undoubtedly there are disappointments and you have to bounce back you have to put those behind you and keep going forward with a a higher sense of commitment, a higher sense of devotion to the goal. And I didn't, I don't think I did either of those as well as I should have as a Penn wrestler undergraduate. I don't think I my level of effort was pretty good, needed to be much more, and my ability to bounce back from disappointments was not where it needed to be. Makes a lot
1: of sense. And we also see the flip side of this. We might have high-level athletes that do it in the sports field or on the mats, yet they don't apply that to their career or to their family. It seems like you've learned the greatest lessons from sports and then applied it to your life. Can you talk about that a little bit?
2: Well, I I had these high ambitions for myself in terms of my career, of where I wanted to go. And it just seemed logical to me that the world, it, the world is competitive. Business, and, and what, what I loved, and I didn't know this. When I was growing up, I didn't have a single business person in my life. Growing up, the people that lived in my neighborhood were truck drivers, uh, auto mechanics, factory workers, policemen, people like that. They were not professionals. So I didn't have any of that experience in my life. But when I started going for my MBA, and basically went for my MBA because I didn't know what else to do. I started going for my MBA, trying to figure out what business would be like. I came to the realization that business is just like sports. It's competition. Whether you're in sales, whether you're in an office job, You're competing with everyone else to see who can produce the best outcomes, the best reports, the best analysis, the most sale volume, whatever it is. You're competing to shine. And unless you're, I don't know, gifted in a way that you're smarter than everyone else, which I certainly wasn't, it means you have to work harder. And not a little bit harder, a lot harder. Now, I got to tell you, that has a a significant impact on the rest of your life, which is not so great. You might have to sacrifice family, time, uh, relationships with your wife, relationships with your kids. Um, there isn't an easy way that i could that I could find and i wish I wish looking back that maybe I had been a little less successful in my career and a whole lot more successful in my personal life. I don't think I found the way to balance that.
1: Makes sense, and these are the lessons we learn along the way. What would be some tips and some uh, practical steps you would say, maybe setting boundaries for ourselves that you would recommend uh, for business
2: people? Well, for example, when, when, when I was building my career, you couldn't really do work at home. Your, your, your time to be productive was in your office. So I would you know, get in at seven in the morning and I would leave at nine o'clock at night, every day. I would never have dinner at home with my children or my wife. Well, now things are different. You can be home at 6.30, seven o'clock. You can spend two or three hours with your kids. And if you need to, you can get back on the, your laptop and you can do the work that needs to be done. I, I'm, not, I'm not suggesting you put in less hours. I don't think there's any way to put in less hours and be uber successful in your career. I think, I think you can allocate your time somewhat differently. I think the other thing that I learned um, that I would wanna mention is that just like in sports, One superstar doesn't make a team successful. It's about building a great team. And I had that experience in sports. I learned that as an athlete. And I took that with me to my business life. And when I got in a position where I was a leader of teams, where I was a manager, a middle manager, a senior manager, a senior executive, a CEO, I always focused. On making sure that I was recruiting all the time top talent to be part of my team because I knew that one person can be the catalyst, but one person doesn't create success. Yes, very true. And there's the selection,
1: and then there's the development of the workers that are around us. So how do you recommend, what are some of the tips that you'd recommend in selection? Of course, there's the talent, they have the resume, but also the attitude part that you'd be looking for. And then also how do you develop them as well as improve maybe problem areas?
2: Yeah. So I think, you know, you have to, when you're doing these interviews, I I think you have to ask, you have to ask probing questions that don't have simple answers. So, someone who's in your office to interview they they are there to impress you, obviously they're going to give you the shiny version of the penny you know that looks great. I think you have to ask them some tough questions. How would you handle a situation like this and and kind of see how how honestly they come to the to the answer do they do they discuss it from a candid Honest perspective or do they give you a glib answer? That is just not truth is not truthful is not is not sincere I think you have to ask them questions about the most difficult moments in their life And and where they have failed and what they have learned from those failures And if they they've never failed then they probably haven't reached high enough in the course of their Lifetime to go after the big successes that are so hard and so elusive Um, for all of us throughout our, throughout our lives. Um, So I think the interview process, um, I think uh, going after, uh, asking for um, references, obviously that's a, that's a very tough thing to do because all the references have been carefully chosen, people that are going to give them, going to give them, you know, great, great uh, feedback that are going to, Uh, sing their praises. And so uh, I think you need to go into all of that, knowing that and seeing if you can get some more honest feedback. What is this person's three biggest weaknesses? What are the things they don't do well? Have you seen them fail and bounce back from a disappointment? How did they handle that? Those are the kinds of questions that sometimes are more revealing of of the true character of, of a person. We're looking for character. We're looking for those qualities. Uh, smarts are obvious, accomplishments are obvious, but we need to recruit for character. That's excellent. That's a great answer. It, you being the, the pen business side and me
1: being the pen psychology side, uh, one of the things they say is how can you tell when a person's personality is revealed, their character is revealed, and it's during those difficult times. So that's, a, that's exactly right, how they respond after a struggle, after a mistake, do you feel that gives athletes a competitive advantage in the workforce? Or how is being an athlete helpful or maybe harmful
2: in work? Well, I gotta say two things. Number one, I was a Penn psychology undergraduate also. So- um, Double threat right here. That was terrific foundation for my business career. Uh, I never regret uh, my time spent a, as, a, as a psychology major. Um, remind me what your question was? I lost track of it. About, about does, does the dealing with adversity give athletes an advantage right. in business? Right, I, I think that it absolutely does. Um, one of the things we've done at Penn, as, as you probably know, is we've, we've created um, uh, the, Penn, the, 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 Wharton, the Penn Athletics Wharton Leadership Academy where we're trying, to, we're trying to, to be more explicit to make sure that our athletes place their athletic experience into a context that will help them in the rest of their life. There's no doubt that your athletic experience is so form, formulative for the rest of your life. It really helps you develop your character. It helps you develop your your determination and all those wonderful social and emotional skills. But we can do better if we spend some time with our athletes helping, helping them to see that. I mean, some people will discover it on their own, probably everybody discovers it on their own to some extent. But if we can talk about it more explicitly, if we can have the Wharton professors who teach leadership make sure that every one of our athletes gets some of that leadership training perspective, then their athletic experience will be so much richer as they go forward in life. You know, when I I look back at my athletic career at Penn, I spent as much time or frankly more time working on my athletics than I did working on my classroom studies. Now, if I want to leave Penn with the best Form, form, formulaic experience. I've got to make sure that that athletic time is is spent learning more than how to do a single leg takedown or how to cover a cover a, a, a fast halfback as he comes out in the flat looking for a pass. I need to I need to take something with me that will benefit the rest of my life, and I feel like I figured that out but it would have been sure great if the Penn professors or some staff had helped put that into context for me. Uh, let me give you one more example. Every sport, virtually every sport, elects a captain for that team. But do we ever really tell those captains what it means to be a captain? What what If we have an athlete that's struggling, if we have an athlete that's not putting out if we have an athlete that's not showing up if we have an athlete that's not getting along with the rest of the team is that the coach's job or is that the captain's job do we train that not really and so i I was the captain of the wrestling team i didn't really know what i was supposed to do so what we're trying to do now is try to be more explicit and having people understand not only what they should do, but how to do it in ways that will benefit the rest of their life.
1: Exactly, consciously and explicitly developing these leadership qualities and how to handle this. And I have to say it's seeing it firsthand and from my teammates and being involved, in this this Penn Leadership Program has been an unbelievable success and strong recommendation for other colleges to be following Penns and, and you are a lead with this. So that's great.
2: Another question I have is, I think, go ahead, go ahead. Also, I, I think it's also a recruiting asset. So that, I mean, the, 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 the guys that are juniors in high school that are football players or track stars or wrestlers or basketball stars, they may not get it. But when the coach sits down and talks to their parents about this, the parents will get it. I guarantee you, the parents will say, oh yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense.
1: Right. And of course, the great coach, Roger Reina, he knows that he uses that well. It's just an unbelievable thing. So really, but on behalf of all of the Penn wrestlers, Penn athletes that have benefited, we really appreciate it. Thank you, Dave. So so another question that I have with, with that is one of the things we spoke about when you were giving my brother and I some mentoring advice, you said, as we move into more corporate America and business, sometimes there's a prejudice against athletes Can you speak about that and how we could possibly overcome that?
2: Well, I think the non-athletes sometimes have a little bit of a chip on their shoulder about the athletes. Well, the athletes got special permission, special attention, this, that, and the other thing. I think non-athletes have a little bit of a jealousy toward... Those kids that come out of college with athletic achievements, and so I don't think when we get in the job, you, I, my recommendation is don't come to your office and put your NCAA championship on the on on the shelf. Leave all that stuff home. That that's to for you to share with your family and your friends, not your coworkers. I don't think you talk about that. I don't think. One of the things I was very careful when I gave speeches, I was very careful not to use sports metaphors in my speeches and talk. I remember one time I was having just a meeting of my inner circle, which was, I think, five men and two women. I said, look, guys, we've really got to get this ball over the line. It's really important. Meeting adjourns. One of the women comes up to me and says, what does that mean, get the ball over the line? what kind of ball, and what, what kind of line. And I, I explained it to her, and, I, and then she said, you know, when you use those metaphors, Dave, in your speaking, I feel left out. I feel like you're not talking to me. So I think that's something important to be aware of, that they, they, you, you're leaving out non-athletes. It, it can have a certain degree of gender bias um, in your language, I think you have to be really careful, um, about all of that. That's an interesting point. And I think a lot of athletes
1: that wouldn't even pop up in our mind. And it's important that at very least we're aware of it, right? Awareness in psychology is step one. I guess maybe, maybe a little bit of pushback there is you do get a buy-in from a lot of people there. Do you think maybe we say, because it does, um, sports do tend to bridge um, gaps between people. Do you think maybe if you make that analogy immediately after you follow it up by saying, and look, it doesn't matter if you were an athlete or not, it's competition, it's team, it's leadership. So then maybe this way you're kind of um, in there, you were able to say it,
2: but at the same time, not offend people. What are your thoughts? I think so. I think there's, if you think about it enough and place it in a context where those who were not athletes or those who don't know the rules of whatever athletic competition you're describing, um, don't feel left out. I think it can, it can be effective, but I just think you need to pay attention.
1: Absolutely. Makes a lot of sense. And then last question, are there any other mindset, red flags or mental mistakes that you tend to see people make? I know you've hit on a few of them already, but anything else you could think of that in the business world that we might tend to, you might see people making these same mistakes over and over. And you just want to say to them, no, no, don't do it like that. Do it like this. And that'll save you a lot of time. And you just can't beat your kind of experience and operating at such a high level as you have.
2: Well, in sports, what normally happens is you have an in-season and an off-season. And the in-season builds to a championship competition, whether it's the Super Bowl in the NFL, or the NCAA championships in basketball or wrestling. It builds to a climax, and then you have an off-season where you relax, you, you look back, you gather yourself, and you get ready for the next competition. You don't have that in business. There is no off season. It's always full steam ahead. And so you have to find ways to replenish yourself. And maybe you replenish yourself when you take your vacation. Maybe you replenish yourself when you take a weekend at a retreat or a spa or a health club or something. But you do need to find time to get away from the work and replenish your soul, your energy, your your mental energy. You need to do that. You can't go at 100 miles an hour, 52 weeks a year, for years on end. You will just wear yourself out. And your patience will grow thin and your energy will start to wane. You do need to re-energize yourself. You know, one of the things that I, I started doing was, because uh, I was living in the suburbs at one point, I started getting up at five o'clock in the morning so I could beat the traffic, drive into the city by six and work out from six until 7.30, shower and be at the office by eight. I did that every day and and that, Energized me. It, it was more than just training my body. It was a way for me to to let out steam, to get to get replenished. And so I think you need to figure out when you're on vacation. If you're on the phone every day, you're on vacation. Working that's not really being on vacation.
1: That makes a lot of sense. And I guess I also think that sparks another idea. Now thinking about now what we're doing with the mental coaching. What would be some tips you would give specifically about that? Because if it seemed like there's a big need for that as we approach corporate America and sales teams, not just, not just, um, being motivated, but also the work life balance, also bringing out your best in a performance, resiliency, bouncing back from mistakes. It seems like there would be a pretty big need for that.
2: What kind of recommendations would you give us? For that? You know, I think, I think what sells is success sells. So the hardest sales are your first couple of sales until you have both a proof of concept that this does work and you have satisfied customers who can sing your praises. Every time I went into a new business or a new product line, something new we were doing at Schwab, for example, to expand our our business, I would focus on making sure that I I acquired customers that could then sing our praises and be the advocates for our business. To me, nothing is as compelling as a satisfied customer who was happy to tell other potential customers, this is great, this made a huge difference in my life.
1: Excellent. Thank you very much, Dave. I really appreciate it for everything that you do. Seems like you're the man with the Midas touch. Penn psychology program, top three in the country. The Patrick Center, top three in the country gyms. And and unbelievable, I've worked out there many times. The wrestling gym, the Wharton School of Business, number one in the country. And just overall, great guy. Thank you for all the help you've always given me, my brother, as well as the Penn wrestling team, the Penn students. We can't thank you enough. So thank you for everything that you do.
2: Well, you're very kind. I appreciate it, Gino. It's nice to be with you today. And I think we will uh, we'll sign off on that. Take care. Bye-bye.
1: Sounds great. Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus,